as you find your seats, if you'll put your bulletin in Genesis 2 and something else in Ephesians 5, those are the two passages we are going to use to springboard into our study in Ephesians today. Good morning. How's everybody this morning? As always, it's great to worship our living God together. As always, it is a privilege and an honor and a joy to be one of your pastors. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about marriage. Uh, Matter of fact, for the next three weeks, but I know what many of you are thinking. Stop it. You're thinking, hey, I'm not married. Doesn't apply to me. This does, I promise you, because it's God's story. Some of you may be thinking, hey, I'm divorced, uh, I'm disqualified, stop it, it's not true. Um, some of you uh, may be in marriages right now saying, thank the Lord, three weeks on marriage, does my spouse need to hear this? So uh, let's, uh, each of us, no matter where we are, what stage of life, let us all ask God, like we should do every week, to come and speak to us. Because I promise you, if we're in God's Word, guess what, it's for all of us. So let us lean in, as always, and see what God has for us. Because marriage is really just a part of the bigger story, but I'm getting ahead of myself. The year was 1975, and I was in the sixth grade, and a class project... Why was there a moan with that, all right? (laughs) Anyway, for some of you saying he's so young, for some he's so old, but anyway... Um, 1975, sixth grade, we had a pretty cool class project. We made a time capsule. Y'all familiar with a time capsule? Uh, you gather some relics, some things interesting about that year, about that class, about that area. You put them into a box that won't rot or some kind of container, and you bury it. And we were to open that box, or someone at New Hartford school system was going to open that box in the year 2000. You know, in that time in 1975, the year 2000, it just seemed so amazingly far away. It was like, wow, what are those people going to be like in the year 2000? What am I going to be like? But really for a kid in sixth grade, it was just so far away. And I got to be honest with you, I do not remember one thing about what we put in that box. Not one thing do I remember. But I will tell you a couple things, and it happened in 1975. The world's scariest movie came to the big screen. Jaws. Now, my kids make fun of me because I tell them that's the scariest movie ever. Like, Dad, we've seen it so many times. It is not scary at all. Be there in the big screen. Anybody see it on the big screen? I mean, I was so scared of water, I didn't shower for months. I mean, it was... It was scary stuff. It really was. Uh, There was a uh, little company started uh, called Microsoft in 1975. For some of us, we were waiting for another company called Apple, but that's another story. There was a uh, a boy who was born, uh, given an unusual name, Tiger. Turned out to be a pretty good golfer, certainly. Uh, And also in 1975, the Vietnam War finally came to an end. So what could have been some of those things we put in that box? And when they opened it, I would imagine there had to be a lot of explaining, especially if they opened it like they buried it with a sixth grade class. What are these relics? What does this do? I I picture kind of maybe a record, you know, what is a record or an eight track or a cassette? 
it really probably didn't make much sense uh, to a sixth grader looking back just 25 years ago. Amazing, the changes. I mean, 25 years ago, they were just coming out with something called personal computers. How that has changed our lives. Well, this morning, we're going to dig up what Scripture tells us about marriage. And many come to this passage in Ephesians and Paul or to marriage in the Bible and say, it's an old relic. I mean, really can what God gave to us so long ago through the pen of the Apostle Paul really pertain to us in the 21st century? Is it just an old relic? And let me tell you, it is for us today. First of all, it comes from God's Word, and God's Word is holy and active. Not only that, marriage is going to be described to us by the author of marriage, the one who created it. So we need to turn to him and say, God, tell us what this is about. Tell us about marriage so we can understand it, because really, marriage is his story. So today we begin, we're going to look at marriage for the next three weeks. Uh, That's where we are in um, our study in Ephesians. An amazing thing that we have seen through Ephesians is that God has brought a huge change to sinners like you and me in Christ. He has given those who are dead in sins life. He has made those who are separated one. And now he is saying to us, because of who we are in Christ, because of what Jesus has done, it should affect everything. And we are in a section where we're looking and learning that we need to be imitators of Christ. We need to walk in light. We need to walk in love. And now the reality of Jesus Christ should radically change the way we see marriage. We're also going to get, after this, it's going to see radically change how we parent, how we work. Those are the next studies right along as we follow in with Paul. But again, this is for everyone. So you got to come the next three weeks, uh, no matter what stage in life you're in, no matter what stage your marriage is in, God wants to speak to your heart through his word. So come here and lean in for these next three weeks. We're going to begin where the story begins of marriage. Genesis 2, verses 18 through 24. And then we're going to go to our text, Ephesians 5, uh, verses 20 through 24. Let us turn to God's Word together, beginning in Genesis 2. Creation story found in 1 and 2. We're going to look to the first ever marriage. Mindful that we are either... No matter if we're in Genesis or we're in Ephesians, this is God's holy, inerrant word, and we need to be submissive to it. We need to listen to it. God has preserved it for us through His Holy Spirit, holy and inerrant. Genesis 2, verse 18 through 24. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Isn't that an amazing picture? Here the creator God of the entire universe brings his creation to Adam and he's thinking, let me say hippopotamus, giraffe, to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. More on that in a minute. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused this deep sleep to fall on the man. 
And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from that man, he made into woman. And here we see the first wedding. And he brought her to the man. Then the man said, and here we see the first poetry, the first art in all of Scripture. That is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let us turn to Ephesians 5. And I'm going to start in verse 18. It's not going to be on your screen, so follow along with me. And the reason I start in verse 18 is because really this is one sentence that Paul is saying, and we're going to pick it up really closely in verse 22. But in verse 18, it says this, but be filled with the Spirit. And I'm skipping to verse 21. When we're filled with the Spirit, verse 21, we will be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And again, that word submit there isn't even in verse 22. It was just a carry on from verse 21, rightfully. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the, as, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, as we have prayed, be glorified in me. My only prayer, oh Father God, be glorified in the preaching of Your Word. And the only way You're going to do that is by coming with power through Your Holy Spirit. Father, begin by forgiving the preacher for truly his sins are many. And Father, if it's just my words, all we're going to hear is hypocrisy. All we're going to hear is things that amount to nothing. But God, if You come for Your glory and You speak through a cleansed, forgiven sinner like me in Christ's blood, Father, You will teach us much about Your story, Your character, and about our lives. And that is what we desperately need to hear again today. Father, the state of the marriages in this church, in this culture, in this world is incredibly threatened. The fact that most end in divorce And the fact that the statistics are no different for Christians and non-Christians is the most appalling of all. So God, we ask that You would come with such power. God, specifically I'm going to pray for the many that we begin this series, this mini-series in Ephesians, and immediately, God, they're uncomfortable because of their stage in life, whether that is a single or single again, whether that it's in a rough marriage. Whether that's in a happy marriage that can become idolatrous. Wherever you find us, God, come and speak to us because all of us need to grow and all of us need to learn and all of us need to lean in. So God, as you speak through me, would you also ready the ears of your people? And God, would they be quick to listen? Not to my words, but to yours. And God, would you use all that is true and all that contains the good news of the gospel to make us more like Christ? And the things that are wrong or the things that are merely my opinion, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. We pray that you and you alone receive glory and we receive 
great joy, great challenge, and great understanding. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you want to follow along in your bulletin, you can. Uh, it'll be there for you. The outline will be there for you. And again, today's a little bit different. Um, it's going to be kind of more of the big story. Um, some more kind of uh, uh, explaining some things that the Bible tells us. So lean into that. Uh, some more of the practical how-tos will be in the next couple of weeks. But I promise you, it's an amazing story. The love story between a man and a woman. Why is it an amazing story? Because it is God's story. Let's begin there. God's love story being told through our life story. As we read the Bible, as we understand redemptive history, as we understand why God has made us, we will understand clearly that God has made us so that we can reflect Him. God gives us our life story. Why? So that we can tell of His love story in us. And that applies to each and every one of us. Our lives are here by design. Uh, God has given to us our families, our spouses, or has chosen not to at this point. But ultimately, wherever you sit and wherever you are in life, the ultimate bottom line is this, is that God's love story should be told through your life story. That's the purpose why He created you in His image. That's the purpose of why He sent His Son to come and rescue us. God's life story through our stories. See, we got to understand this. We cannot understand the storyline of the Bible until we understand marriage. And that's a pretty bold statement, but it's true. We cannot fully understand the ultimate broad scope storyline of the Bible until we understand marriage. Why? Because when we open up the book, the Bible, we see in the beginning that God created everything amazingly out of nothing. When God spoke and, and, and all of creation came into existence, God also created marriage. The book begins with a marriage. That's how the Bible begins. He's going to tell the story uh, of creation, the story of us, and He's going to begin with a marriage. And guess what He's going to end with? A wedding feast. So the Bible is bracketed with a marriage. The beginning, it starts with a marriage. In the end, it ends with the wedding feast of the Lamb, where we will be with Jesus singing the praises of our bridegroom. The metaphor of God's love for us that He most clearly uses and wants us to understand very, very clearly in His love story is marriage. Here's the bottom line. God creates marriage to tell His love story to the world. Isn't that amazing? God wants to use marriage, the love between a man and a woman, the two becoming one, to tell about His love for us. Marriage is designed for God and His glory. Yes, it is designed for our pleasure. Yes, it is designed for us to fill the earth with His image and His glory. But ultimately, we need to begin with this understanding. We can't understand the Bible and until we understand the marriage story. Not only that, we can't understand marriage. We cannot understand marriage until we understand the Bible. I mean, the only way we're going to ever understand marriage and living with another broken sinner and loving selfish, selflessly, uh, the only way we're going to be able to respond to one another and submit to one another and honor one another is if we understand what Jesus did for us. The only way we're going to have a marriage that works in a way that God is pleased and glorified, is if Jesus is the center of it. So here's the bottom line. We don't get the Bible until we get marriage. And we don't really fully get marriage 
until we get the Bible. Now, that's not to say that God's common grace isn't extended to uh, married folks who don't know Jesus and they have a good relationship and, and a lot of laughs and maybe a blessed family. God is so gracious, He allows that. But God wants more of your marriage. He wants you to understand the real purpose of your marriage. He wants you to understand that it's all by His design, all for His glory. That's why He uses more than any other metaphor marriage to tell His story. Another extremely important point, I'm going to make this over and over again this next three weeks. God's story is full and complete in everyone. Did you hear what I just said? If you are a child of God, God's story is full and complete in you, whatever stage you are in right now. Did you hear that? Because many of you are sitting here today saying, I've never been married and there's something wrong with me. There's something incomplete about me. I don't fully get it. I have never fully been loved or whatever you're feeling. Or you may feel I've been disqualified because I've been divorced. Listen, in Christ Jesus, that is the full story. You are loved. And as a pastor, it breaks my heart for the single folks in our congregation that I love dearly, but, but more importantly, that He loves dearly. That He wants you to know that you are not incomplete. Okay? He's going to tell His story through marriage. It's an amazing thing. But if you're here, and listen, what was Paul who wrote this married? No. Was his life incomplete? How about our Savior Jesus? Was he married? No. Okay? So God does amazing things through those who are single. Paul will say to those he wrote to, I wish that you could be like me, Paul said. I'm a single man and my whole life is given to Jesus. I, have, I don't have to worry about a lot of domestic responsibilities. I am God's warrior. I wish you could be like me. I love that. For a married man like your pastor, I said, I wish you could be like me. I love marriage, and I've loved what it's done for me. But we have to realize there's not second-class citizens sitting in this room, okay? If you're a child of the king, and you're single, or you're you're a young person, you are not second-class. And you still got to listen up, because God wants to tell his full story through you and your stage of life. Is it a deal? I can't make that point too strongly, because again, many of you uh, just feel like, come on, God, why? A dear friend of mine, uh, a very talented woman, a, uh, a single woman. God has uh, uh, been pleased to have her single. And man, is she amazing. And she has an incredible testimony to, to him, an incredible ministry. And she has tattooed on her wrist, Beloved. Uh, it's kind of an ink. You can't see it. Um, but she wants to be reminded all the time that my marriage is to my beloved Savior, Jesus. And in him, I am complete and enough. That should be true of all of us. should be tattooed on our hearts, beloved, because you're beloved right where you are. Right where you are right now. Okay, so beginning with marriage, we've got to see that it's God's story being told through our story. He wants to tell his love story through your life story. Now let's look at some of the biblical implications of marriage and go back to Genesis. I'm going to start off in Genesis 2. God creates everything, and he looks at everything, and he says, you know what, it's good. By the way, God doesn't create junk. Remember that. All that God creates is good. He looks at his creation. It's good, it's good, it's good. He says there's one thing that's not good. You know what it was? Man being alone. And I love saying this at a wedding. I love this reality. And here it is. Listen up, men. On our best day, on our best day, we needed help. On our best day. I mean, think about man. He was created in God's image. He was given paradise to rule and reign. I mean, he had everything. He walked with God in the cool of the evening. And yet, on his best 
day, it, the story wasn't complete. On his best day, he needed help. Humbling. God had given man everything. Dominion, paradise. Man had a walk with God that was unbroken with sin. And yet, there was something missing. On our best day, we needed help. It wasn't good that man was alone. What's the deal with God bringing the animals to Adam? I mean, this is amazing how God works. I mean, the beauty of His Word is so amazing. You know what He's doing? He's doing two things when God brings the the, uh, animals to Adam. The first thing is, is He's showing that Adam is His vice regent. Adam is ruling and reigning for him. If you have the ability to name your children, and parents you do, that shows your authority over them. You give someone a name. I mean, even your dog name. I mean, it's, it's your authority over them. So here come all of the animals to, uh, to Adam. I don't know why I want to keep saying Moses, but it's Adam, Adam, Adam. And here come all the animals, and, and God is delighted to see what he's going to call them. It's his, it's his absolute reign. But it does something else. It shows he's alone. Isn't it amazing how God works? I'm going to show Adam that he's alone. That he's not enough. I'm going to show Adam, and the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to bring every creature to him. And he says, there's not one fit for me. There's not one for me. And and, this is not in the Bible, and this is just Jeff, and so this is some of those things that need to fall away. Uh, but I just wonder if the golden retriever came and he just sat down and says, is this fit for me? <laughs> is this it? This is my best friend. Go fetch, boy. Is this it? Does it get better than a good dog? Someone just said, nope. We need to pray for that man right now. <laughs> is that you, John? We needed help. We needed more. Um, and so God made woman and he made it, made woman in her, made woman in his image. Now listen, listen to the implications of this. God makes man and woman both in his image. Okay? So both are equal. They're equal ontologically in their being. They're equal. Because why? They're made in his image. But if we're both made in his image, both man and female are made in his image, we don't get God or we don't get God's story until we get both, right? Because both are made in his image. And so we have to realize that, that part of getting God, the implications that not only do we need God on our best day, but we will never fully get God until we get women. Lord, help us. The reality is this, we don't get the whole story of God until we get both man and woman. And we got to realize this as well, that, that God made man and woman in his, uh, in his image equal in their being, but different in their roles. Okay, equal in their being, different in their roles. It's very clear, like God. I mean, God reveals himself to us. There's one true living God. There are three persons in this one God, and this is a mystery about the Trinity. 
But these three persons are separate, separate persons, but at the same time, they're one in substance. There's one true living God. They're equal in power. They're equal in glory. This one triune God has three in one. And it wasn't like the Father became the Son and the Son became the Holy Spirit. That's modalism. It's heresy. It's wrong. There are three distinct fathers, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and this one living role, one living God. But each one has a separate, unique role. And it's true with man and women. That God isn't calling a woman to become a man. That's not the ultimate. And he's not calling a man to become a woman. But he's saying you both are one in my eyes. You're equal. And scripture makes that really clear. There's no slave and there's no Jew or Gentile, male or female. We're one in Christ. Truly one. But we have different roles. And just as the Father has an initiating role and the Son has a saving role and the Holy Spirit has a filling role, each one, and as the Son submits to the Father and the Spirit submits to the Son and Father, so God says, I want to tell my story through you, through marriage. And the only way you get me is you get both, man and female. And the only way you get this mystery is you have both. And yet, at the same time, you are one. You have different, unique roles. Okay. What is a helper? So that's so man's best day, we need help. What is a helper? Azer or Ezer? Uh, God says, I'm going to make man a helper. What's a helper? It's a nice little girl with an uh, apron on running around the kitchen. Wrong. If you believe that way, helper is, is a military term. I mean, it really is. It's used mostly in the Bible as a military strength. My Ebenezer, my, my stone of strength. Uh, when God says, I'm going to make man a helper, he was basically saying, I'm making man a warrior. Because why? Because God gave man an amazing responsibility. Fill the whole earth with my glory. Go into darkness and bring light. Go into chaos and bring beauty and, and bring harmony. Go into the void and bring beauty. Go. You can't do it alone. The story's incomplete with you, so I'm going to make you a military helper to go. Our whole goal has never changed, to fill the earth with God's glory. We need male and females to do it. Man and woman, husband and wife to do it. And not just make babies, but make disciples in Christ. We need an easer. We need help. Let me ask you a question. God says, okay, I'm going to make a woman, and she's going to be a helpmate. She's going to come right from man. It's going to have some military um, kind of connotations to it. And I think, you think there's going to be any conflict? <laughs> There'll be some conflict. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. But, you know, you wonder why. Why is marriage so hard? Why is this helper so hard? Well, God made her strong. How would it be in a military without different duties? How would it be in a military if there wasn't certain roles? There'd be chaos. I can't say over and over enough. Equal in being, different in roles. But man, on our best day, we needed help. And what do we need? We needed a helper um, who had a military type of background. What is fit for man? I'm going to make woman fit for man. And remember, the golden retriever didn't fit. And so God made a woman that is fit for man. And I, I love how Keller describes this Greek, I'm sorry, this Hebrew word, fit for man. He says this, like opposite of him. 
Okay, fit for man is this. Write that down. Like opposite of him. <laughs> like opposite of him. Picture puzzle pieces. I mean, the one who fits has to be opposite for the two to snap together. So God made woman like opposite of man. Man. So here's the reality. God wants to tell a whole story through husband and wife, through man and woman. He's going to say, I'm going to make her make man and on his best day needs help, a military helper. And I'm going to make this woman like opposite him. Any man have a problem with the fact that your wife is like opposite of you? Oh, man. You throw sin in the project. You throw sin into the marriage. You throw sin into the world. You throw sin into our lives. And so here's what we got. You got man and woman. A woman who's created in God's image, but created in a different role. That role is to submit in a way that honors God. We'll talk more about that in a second. She's got a military kind of mindset because that's how God created her. She's a warrior in and of herself. And she's like opposite. And let's throw sin in the equation. How easy is it for us to relate? Boy, do we need Jesus. And do we need him to understand the story? Okay, so let's keep going. What is the meaning of bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh? I mean, it's an incredible poetic utterance that, that Adam says. He sees woman. He, don't forget what he just saw. He just saw of all of creation. And now he says there's something amazingly different about this one. This one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And again, uh, uh, I think I listened to a sermon on, with Tim Keller that really nailed this, basically telling us the truth that we cannot know ourselves fully until we know a woman, our spouses. He's looking in a mirror at a like opposite of himself. And now he's basically saying, I get me. I get me. I'm incomplete without the rest of the story. After 22 years of marriage, I understand that. Because I am such, by God's grace, a better man because of Katie. I could see life now through her perspective that I'm just not wired to see. And I could see her react to life in a different way, in a much, oftentimes much more God-honoring way. And now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh reflects back to me the way life really should be. And I often shudder to think, who would I be without her? How selfish would I be? How many of the broken edges of my life has, by God's grace, God used to have her life round off my broken edges? I just wouldn't see life the same way without her. And that's what Adam is saying. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I kind of get it now. I get life. And the most beautiful thing about the gospel story is this. And this, again, lean into this. This is amazing. Because guess what Jesus is? Guess what the eternal Son made flesh is? Guess what Jesus is? Bone of our bone. Flesh of our flesh. We don't get life without Him. We can't understand who we are without Him. That's why He's come to rescue us. And that's why this this image of marriage is so important. Bone of our bone. Flesh of our flesh is our eternal God and the second person of the Trinity. Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And we will never know ourselves until we know Him. We will never know life until we know Him. And we will ultimately never know marriage 
until we know Him. Because when we see Him, we see what we are called to be, what we were meant to be, and who one day we will be, fully man in Christ Jesus. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Well, what is headship? Well, there's headship in creation. Uh, We're going to see headship in two ways, in creation and recreation. First of all, headship in creation. God made woman after man, and he made woman out of man. Now, I've tried to make very clearly that doesn't make her less than man in her eyes, in his eyes, doesn't make her second class citizen, but in order of creation, and God wants to tell his story through that, submission comes because of a creation ordinance. God created man first. He is the head in God's eyes, the way he tells his story. But I love the reality of this. God made woman from man, and guess where man now comes from? Woman. We need each other. We need each other. But in creation, there's a headship, a headship that just comes because that's how God made it. That's what he did. He didn't make in the beginning two immediately. He made Adam. That was his plan. That was his purpose. That's how he wanted to tell his story. So in creation, there's a headship. And this is what Paul will pull it back to. It's also in recreation. What does it mean by recreation? Our, our new creature in Christ, becoming born again, becoming having our sins forgiven, clothed in Christ's righteousness. And recreation. Jesus has come to restore all things the way that they should be. Jesus is our head. Very clearly, even in the letter of Ephesians, it says Jesus is the head of the church. And I want to tell my story through you. And so because I'm the head of the church, I'm going to have marriage being in such a way that the husband's going to reflect the head. That way the world can see that, that, that as the husband is the head of the family, head of the wife, so is Christ the head of the church. That's how God has intended it to be. Now, headship. It's not in all areas. I really believe this is just for marriage. It doesn't mean that we can't have a woman CEO. It doesn't mean that we can't have a woman president. It doesn't mean you can't have a woman boss. I've had them um, before the ministry. But it does, it does mean that in marriage there should be um, a headship reflected that tells God's story. It doesn't mean that there's certain roles that you play and certain roles your wife plays. That doesn't mean headship. Man, Katie's a lot better with our finances than I am. And so I, I believe that I'm responsible at the end of the day to head over our household, their finances, but I'm smart enough to delegate it to her. Okay? It doesn't mean that there's specific gender roles. It just, it's just the way God wants to tell his story. Does it make sense? There's headship in creation. There's headship in recreation. It's equals with different roles. Okay, who is our Savior? Um, Jesus and... Uh, That's all I'm going to say about that. It's not the man, it's him. Um, Biblical submission. Uh, Let's do this. Let me me just uh, come back to this next week because we got a couple more weeks on this. Um, I want to to end with some so what for women here. So let me just quickly say um, about biblical submission. And let me point to God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Equal. But God tells his love story through a son who says, I do nothing apart from the Father's will. Although I'm equal to the Father and I'm one with the Father, I'm going to lovingly submit. And this is Jesus who, by the way, took a towel and washed our feet. 
And when love looks like that, submission is really a beautiful, easy thing. Submission is a reflection of who God is and how the triune God operates. And He gives us now a privilege to show His love. It doesn't ever mean anything that is unlawful to God. It doesn't mean, ladies, that you are ever going to be put in danger. It doesn't mean that you ever submit to a husband at the expense of your welfare, your well-being in life physically. Uh, It's got to be honoring to God. Okay, the so what for women. I have three so what's. One is this. Equals in creation and recreation, different in functions. Don't forget. Equal in creation and recreation, different in function, different in roles. Ladies, all of you, married, single, young person, listen, ladies, listen. The greatest love you need, the love that you really need, is in Jesus. It's not in your husband's love. It's not in your kid's love. You were created for more. Your husband's love is supposed to do nothing more than point you to Jesus. And if you're feeling broken and incomplete, and of course you are because you're a sinner, and you're like us, and like me, like the men, you need Jesus. The greatest love you need is found in Jesus. And married women, the way you honor Jesus should shape the way you relate to your husband. The way you love Jesus should shape the way you you submit, the way you relate to your husband and honor Christ by honoring him. You may say he doesn't deserve it. He probably doesn't. But love Jesus and may the love of Christ fill you till you can give and you can tell your story as an equal telling God's love story. Let us pray. Father, there's so much here. I'm so grateful for two more weeks to come back. But God, we still at the same time need today to just be reminded that you made man and woman in your image. We don't get the full story until we get both. We need to be reminded that Jesus was a single man and complete in and of himself. And in Christ, we are complete. And yet at the same time, God, even for the single person, we need one another to understand the full story. Jesus, thank you for becoming flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone to come and rescue us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, to come and turn the lights on that that really our lives are simply an opportunity for God to tell his love story through us. God, for your glory, preserve the marriages here at Orangewood. God, for your kingdom and the purity of your church, protect the marriages at Orangewood in this church. God, for your glory, remind the single man and woman of their completeness and beloved nature in Christ. God, for your glory and the purity of the church, keep our young men and women pure. May may your love story be enough to keep them pure until you provide for them a spouse, or your sufficiency is enough. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let us stand and sing together.